Good morning and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lichtenhauer longsword glosses. I'm your host, Mike Smorridge, and joining us are our panel of Michael Shidister, Jess Finley, Stephen Cheney, Kendra Brown, TQ, and Johanna Hopfgardner. This is episode 37, where we'll be looking at lines 96 to 101 on hanging and Sprechfenster. What have you been up to since the last week, Michael? It's only going to be one episode. Um, uh, yeah, what, what, totally what have I been doing? I just launched a Patreon to support uh, working on Wiktenauer full-time this year, among other things, and have been doing a lot of work on that. It's going to mostly be hosting some of my translation projects as the what you get in response for giving me money. So I've been working on Parita del Pozo's 1470s dueling treatise and also on revising and revamping my Fiore translation. And that's been that's been it for me. If you want to support me on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Michael Chinster. Will those translations always stay Patreon only, or will they see the light of day elsewhere? Uh, I think that when they're done, they're going to be published and also go on Wicton Hour um, somewhere down the road, but I expect that won't be for a while. So there'll be Patreon-only goodies until then. Cool. Thank you very much. Uh, Jess, have you been up to much? Um, You know what? No. I mean, I am teaching two Zoom classes so i did that this week um let's see what did i teach oh hanging in fresh fenster i taught this week and um also a class on on what i call messer for dummies so that was good fun and then um and then i'm doing a lot of physical therapy and just saw the doctor again and i'm gonna be a lefty for a while everybody oh that right shoulder is trash so i did sorry to hear that yeah, I said. Does that mean you're going to be able? You're going to have all the answers about Spreckfenster and hanging for us? No, but I might have a thought. Oh, <laughs> even better. Uh, Steve, what have you been up to? Making charts. Uh, nothing. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Editing the last episode. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Kendra, have you been up too much? I have been reading a surprisingly large amount of research papers on ways of identifying pigments in manuscripts that don't destroy the manuscript at all, like without flaking off pieces of paint to do it chemically. And the answer apparently is lasers. Cool. Well, sounds high-tech. I know with papyrus, they've been playing with some sort of super bright light sources to image an entire rolled up papyrus in one go without it, um, without unrolling it, and then just digitally unrolling the whole, like, so you take a, you photocopy the entire thing as a roll and then digitally unpick all the layers afterwards. Yeah, I've read about that. They're hoping they can use it to read the burned scrolls that Crazy. came out of the, uh, the cities destroyed by Vesuvius, like Pompeii. Yeah. Um, it's very similar techniques to X-ray crystal analysis, which is something I kind of used to do a bit of in an old job. So pretty cool stuff. 
Wait, you worked out the structure of DNA in an old job? I worked for a place who helped work out the structure of DNA and proteins, yeah. Sweet. Um, what else have you been, you've been up to, T? Not that recently, for sure. Um, uh, not that much. I recently, I'm still reading my book about uh, crossbow guilds, which I talked about in a previous episode. Um, but I've also been reading and would highly recommend Louis Proto's uh, Development of Technique and Tactical Skill, uh, which we will presumably link in the episode description or something. Uh, it's a really, so far, I'm only part way through it, but it's a really solid uh, guide to how motor learning works, how, and kind of ideas of how to teach people efficiently um, instead of some of the classic ways of teaching that are very focused on describing a movement in the abstract that people will struggle to apply into a dynamic situation, which is a, an interesting approach to teaching and something I find really useful. Um, and it's just a short, well, a short, pretty well-written book uh, that lays out a lot of that stuff pretty efficiently. So recommended and quite cheap too. I bought a huge pile of other coaching books recently, so look out for more book recommendations over the next few episodes. Thanks. Uh, Joey, what have you been up to? Oh, I've been doing things. I've been doing HEMA-related things for a change. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I've been studying at least a bit. Austria, Austria has this nationally regulated requirement in order for people to become sports instructors. Um, so if you want to become an Austrian uh, sports instructor, you or at least one that is actually uh, insured or covered by insurances, you might need to have a nationally regulated certification. And my exams are this weekend. <laughs> so I need to study a bit, but it's mm, quite easy. Tomorrow is the theoretical part, so it's mainly uh, anatomy, body mechanics, the legal system of sports in Austria, teaching movements, stuff. I, I don't think I've missed anything. And yeah, that's tomorrow. And the day afterwards, I have the uh, practical part, which was supposed to be um, some many five-minute instruction sessions in front of a group, but that can't really take place. So I'm guessing we make it uh, via Zoom or, I don't know, just instructing people for a short time. A mini HEMA uh, yeah, session. And afterwards, I Ooh. am hopefully a nationally certified Austrian instructor. That would be cool. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um. What have I been up to in the last week? Uh, we're organizing a tournament for about a month's time, so I need to finish writing the rules and the gear requirement for that today. I'm about 90% of the way there. And went back to fencing after our summer break and did some of the worst longsword of my life. Yeah, pretty good. Man, countries where they're allowed to fence. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, we'll have another outbreak in three weeks' time. <laughs> yeah, but an outbreak Guaranteed. for you guys is like 12 cases, right? Yes. I think we're still dying at a rate of like 5,000 a day here, but maybe we shouldn't go too far into that. <laughs> yeah, this isn't the COVID podcast. <laughs> that isn't that literally why you started this podcast? 
yeah, <laughs> because we had. Uh, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into my. Rant. So it is the COVID podcast, but it's not. Come on, Michael. Let's be fair. It's closer to four thousand. Okay, maybe I was right overestimating. That might not be true um, by the time we release this episode, but anyway. Probably. <laughs> but the other thing to bear in mind is that the UK has been having like one and a half thousand a day out of a way smaller population. Yeah. It's it's bad in a lot of places, isn't it? Well, it's especially bad in the UK. <laughs> turns out turns out doing nothing and encouraging people to go out for dinner kills peeps. Who would have known? So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, rant over. Rant over. Jerry, could you give us the the German for lines 96 to 101? Yes. Okay. An den Zweien hängen. Zwei hängen werden aus ein Hand von der Erden. In einem Gefährte, Hausstichleger, Weich oder Härte. Von Sprechfenster. Sprechfenster mach, stand freilich bis sich sein Sach. Schlach in, dass er schnappe, wer sich vor dir ziert, abbe. Ich sag dir für wahr, sich schützt kein Mann eine Fahr. Hast du vernummen, zu Schlag mag er klein kummen. Thank you very much. And Steve, could you give us Hazard's translation? Here are the two ways to hang, from the ground, from your hand. In every attack, whether cut or a thrust, the hard and soft lies within you can trust. Stand in Sprechfenster to see who will enter. Whoever draws back, strike in with a snap. Now let me assure, no defense is for sure. And if this is well known, barely they'll come to blows. Good, good rhyme there, Hazza. <laughs> All right, this is going to be uh, a nice quick 40 minute episode. We don't think this oh, is going to yeah. be huge. All right, let's start with a two hanging. So, how do you hang from the earth? Turn the camera upside down. That's the question. Oh, buddy, I'm already upside down. Next question. Please <laughs> <laughs> close. Um, so, right. <laughs> now that we've solved that, uh, there's one hanging for the northern hemisphere and one hanging for the southern hemisphere. Tip top, jump down. Yeah. Or I guess in the medieval period, it'd be one if you were standing on top of the world and one if you were standing on the other side of the flat world, right? They knew that oh, the so world true. was round, to be um, fair. More seriously, I guess it comes down to. I know they did. But more seriously, I think the thing which you have to come back to here is what does hangin' mean? We think when we translate it as hangin', hanging, that has a big connotation of like suspending or dangling for modern people. But is that the same connotation as hangin' or hangin' in modern in uh, early New High German? Or did it have, I've seen senses like hinging or angling, kind of that sort of sense of an angle or relationship of something more than a. Uh, <laughs> a suspension which makes more sense of hanging up from the ground like angling up from the ground instead of literally suspending it up from the ground but i'm not the germanists on this podcast <laughs> i'm in the middle um, of looking it up <laughs> the latin for this technique is inclinatio which is leaning so clearly along the same lines. inclination huh 
Yeah, I think I'd suggest it. No, I, I, I was, just said that. I was, I mean, oh, go, Joy. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying that I, that I said <laughs> that I'm in the middle of looking it up. So yeah. Okay. Well, if we keep interrupting you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that'll help. Jess, you were saying something. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say uh, in the in the context of of hunting terminology, hanging has to do with dogs' leashes, horses' reins, and falcons' jesses, and in that way has an association with um, freeing and and rushing forward, right? You know, you let go of the bird and it flies forward. You let go of your dogs, they rush forward. So there's this idea of freedom and, and, and forward movement, um, as opposed to winding up a leash or winding up Jess's, which brings everything close and keeps it contained and restrained. So. I think it was either, I'm trying to remember who I saw posting on this. It might have been Bart Volchek. It might have been uh, Andrea Vodinka, um, both of whose names I thoroughly apologize for mangling. Uh, but it might have been someone else entirely. Um, I've definitely seen an argument that it has sent, that it can be interpreted in senses like sort of like hinging a door or something. The idea of like hanging as being a sort of the point kind of angling back or angling towards the, the target you want it to be kind of sense. Um, but these days, you still hang a door. You do still hang a door, don't you? I'd say that, yeah. Um, and so, like, maybe that's... But again, the, that, that's kind of like the, the suspending meaning that we're trying to avoid. Now, the, the idea of, like, hinging in or something um, might be a, a sense that some people might find useful. So without, on a very surface level, Ringek, um, his explanation of this section has an explanation that makes sense even in modern English because he just tells you that in the lower hangers, you're hanging your pommel toward the ground and the upper hangers, you're hanging your point toward the ground. So it's just in either position, one of your, one part of your sword is lower than the other and that's what hanging is. So anytime you're angling your sword, you might even say. Um, and I that's, this explanation. That sense is not present in Danzig and Lev, but it is in Ringek. And you can, and that is how we use hang in English. So that's, you know, an easy way to think about it. Well, if that's the definition, then every single possible position is a hanging. Is an upper or lower hanger, unless you're perfectly yeah. vertical or horizontal. No, something's still, well. Middle foot, perfectly flat. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say the point is still hanging if it's flat. What? Listen, nothing's lower down, right? Yeah, but you're suspending it. Gravity's pulling on it, and you're suspending it horizontal. I don't know. Whatever. Well, that's definitely a difference. That's the idea of the point being up and the hilt being down, meaning that the hilt is I, I don't, don't want to split too many hairs on this because we have a lot to get through. Yeah. yeah. And on that so, note... so I, I think that one thing that's interesting here is that Ring X, a uh, couple of extra paragraphs of explanation, describe it as being from a left side absetsum. So your left, and then uh, da -da -da, if he shoves your point upwards, him, hang your point down from above towards his face. And yeah, then, so the ring But uh, hold on, bear with me, T, bear with me. I've got a thought coming, it's early in the morning. Um, 
And then all of the glosses say the two hangings from the earth. That is the plants. And but none of them ever talk explicitly about ox being a hanging. They, they do later on in the winding section. Okay, sweet. They mostly right. talk about the hangings in the winding session section. This is just kind of a preview. Except in Ringek. Ringek gives us more unique information. Yeah. One of the ideas I was playing around with for a while, which I guess we'll link into some stuff we'll talk about in an episode or two, um, was that the idea of hanging had a, a connotation of moving up and down on the same side. So like if you're if your hilt is low, you hang the point up. And if you're if you move up, you can hang the point down. Um, and winding, meanwhile, has mm. the connotation of moving across from side to side, where the, the rotation comes in. Yeah. So Ringex, and if you notice in, so the Ringex has a play here, right, where you offset them and you hang your point up, and then if they push it upwards, you lift your hands up and hang the point down. Um, and this isn't described as winding, although a lot of modern definitions of what winding means would cover this. Because um, a lot mm. of the way people will teach the idea of winding or We'll, we'll define winding when they're teaching it, has this idea of it being any movement between two of the hangings is a winding, right? So if I go from fluke on the left up to ox on the left, I've done the winding. Um, but ring specifically doesn't say wind. Um, and it, there isn't any rotation of the body or any kind of change of side. It's just a very much up and down sort of action, um, a change in angulation. That's cool. And that was what we... Would you need to do like a, a whole text? Uh, examination to see if it's consistently used that way? I did one yonks ago. The answer is it's used so little that it is consistent with this, but it could be consistent with a wide variety of other things as well. Basically. I, I um, In preparation for this episode, I did isolate all of the cases of hanging, and I added it to the same doc that has all the cases of Indus and Terspexilum. Mm -hmm. oh, cool. And I think my main observation with that is well, okay, so one sense of hanging is like, you know, in the Durslaufen, you hang your sword over your back, but that's kind of yeah. separate from what Ringek is talking about. And the other one, which is, it's used in Mutirin, it's used in the inverter, hang the point in above. Ringek and Danzig use it in the description of Ox, it's used in the Scheidelhau. To me, what it, what it, what they all kind of have in common is the, the sword doesn't seem to be turning and you seem to be pivoting. So instead of moving yeah. or turning on the edge, you're yeah. pivoting up. Yeah, yeah, you're getting vertical angle. So, so yeah. yeah, the way I tend to... Getting vertical angulation. The way I tend to cue it to people at the minute um, if I'm teaching an idea like this is along the lines of like angle your sword towards their target. So it's not really that you're moving your, your body so much, maybe up and down a bit as necessary, but the, the, the sword point is being turned towards a target. Um, so you, you get this sort of angulation or whatever you're bound against or just turning the point down from where it was lifted or up from where it was back in from where it was offset or something. Um, Almost the, as though so it hangs toward to the target instead of hanging toward gravity. Maybe. Like it was being pulled there by some sort of string, maybe. <laughs> um, one thing I like to do I like to do on this, um, reflecting off of what Ringek is saying, is doing my obsetsin from Alber. 
so that I'm hanging from the ground into my flug and thus into my ox. And then you get Fiore plays of the exchange of points and then you have, I don't know, like a complete art. Hmm. So that's my that's my approach with that one. Um, hmm. Everybody's hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. It's an interesting take. No. I've been I've been trying to um to are we yes. talking about starting an Alba and like mm -hmm. fencing from well, presumably you do your upset some by kind of moving I, I from Alba to a sort of flugy thing and opposing as you do that, yeah. So like a bit of a crump. There's a there's a kind of like a bit of a crump sort of thing, right? There's a paragraph in, in Hans von Speyer that parallels Ringek except it begins differently, and he says to begin in the plow or the change stroke, which we can interpret perhaps as Meyer Vexel, which would be a low guard at the point on the ground. Yeah, to the, to the side, but um, which would, so I think that would even be textual, even though Ringek says you, you start with a standard setting aside, I guess. Well, he doesn't say a starting position, does he? He says to just nope. do a setting aside and then hang your pommel. But Spire, if I recall correctly, says start and change move up into flug and then do the upsets. He says, uh, when you come to the man with the pre-fencing, this is a uh, Corey Winslow's translation, then lay yourself in the plow or in the chain stroke, be they whatever side as well, then hang your sword pommel against the earth and thrust up from below from the hanging tortoise face. And from there it continues to be ringek. So instead of setting aside, he tells you to just start in plow or change, right, a low guard, and then thrust upwards by hanging your pommel. Too. Yeah, I think I was thinking of the Absetzen when he says, if you do the Absetzen from, from Tog, switch into Ox and then do the Absetzen, hmm. which doesn't seem necessary to me, but <laughs> who knows what. Yeah, what who, who knows who even I'm, wrote that stuff? Yeah. This is interesting because it does look like he took a passage from Ringek and then modified it to include this idea of the change stroke for reasons of his own. Interestingly, I can't actually think of a case in the Fencing from Sweeps plays where it tells you to do absets and by name. Although I admit I haven't looked through them in a while, but Jess is shaking her head, so I don't think there is one. There's the uh, one. the Nea. It's it's like yeah, a... but that isn't from the sweeps. That's in the same material, but you aren't described oh. as starting from a from a sweep. All right. Well, fair. If you want to be technical about it, sure. Sorry, I wasn't clear on that, to be fair. Um, All right. True, it doesn't have Let's that first on. shortage cut, necessarily. Yeah, exactly. It just says um, when you fence with someone and come close to him. So I guess we'll you could start on. it with the, the shortage cut, but it doesn't seem implied. And it doesn't have any of the, the shortage cut materials almost always described with a specific action of theirs, which isn't in the NAIA. Um, but that's maybe getting a bit into the weeds. Yeah. So, speaking windows, Sprechfensters. Does the term Sprechfenster appear anywhere but fencing books? That's an interesting question. Sprechfenster. I, I found a few instances. Oh, um, should we talk about this? Oh, go ahead, Joey. You go first. Okay. Yes. Okay. I, I found a few instances where they use Sprechfenster in... 
history, I guess. Like, I couldn't pin it down to a century. But apparently, in monasteries, or nunneries, I don't know, where the nuns are, <laughs> um, yep. they had some sort of speaking window where they were, uh, where they were allowed to talk to their relatives or to, to people that don't belong there or don't belong to the monastery or to the nunnery or whatever. So that was their place to, to, to speak or to communicate with outsiders. They had a speaking window, but that was now, the only okay. case I could ever find it. <laughs> is, that a, is that a Sprachfenster or a Sprechfenster? Because the dictionary um, I, I were looking at a while back spelled it with an A and had a separate entry for Sprech with an E that said, this is just a fencing word that doesn't mean anything. Oh, cool. No, I found it with an E. Oh. Oh, Sprechfenster. Ooh. I forget. Who's dictionary was that? Kendra, do you remember? Go ahead, Jess. Also, also, the same thing comes up in um, in Lexer as uh, I'm not going to say it right, but Rede, R E D E, Fenster. Okay. Right. So talk, talk window. Yeah. <laughs> Rather cool. than speak window. <laughs> I feel like that we should address the um, the comma hemaism that everybody has heard about Schreckfenster, which is that it's a little sensory tentacle. Not that one, the other one. Oh. So it's the it's the little door on the speakeasy, or it's the little window on the speakeasy door that you knock on the door and the person opens the slot, and then they ask for the password and like you know see who you are before letting you in. That's not a Schreckfenster. I don't know how that became a hemism, but it's not true. I'm sorry. Is there a word for that in English? I did some looking once and I couldn't find an actual term for that. Besides the little window in the door that you talk through. Right. Speaking window, maybe. Because I, I was sure there must be an architectural term we could use to encompass that, and there's not that I could find. A peephole? <laughs> That's the whole thing you look through, right? I think there is, a, there is a term for that in, like, a castle context, I bet. Is there, though? What is but, that? Yeah. At any rate, I'm pretty sure we've all heard that, and we've probably all taught that as well. Yep. So. Yep. But it's no. I reference Lord of the Rings and Bree rather yeah. than a speakeasy. I mean, come on. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's, it, that's the best reference because he opens the high one and sees that it's hobbits, and then he has to. <laughs> exactly. Um, if we're going to talk about meanings of it, I want to throw out that there's a one of the great translations of Hema that we uh, that we may people may or may not have heard, but gets joked around on the internet a lot is. Translating it as the sensory tentacle, um, which comes from a translation of 3227A from about 10 years ago that someone did that was a highly experimental, let's throw away everything that we know and make up new words translation. And it's great because it so perfectly describes like the way it's often used without being remotely supported by the language. So <laughs> he he had some kind of twisted etymology that got him there, but didn't that one come from Jamie Ackert? It is, yeah. It's a, so it's a, it's a great term that you can use and and sort of enlighten people because you you see like people perk up like oh wait huh when you say that but also it do, it's not actually what the word means at all. So I don't know. It's a great example of of translation okay. principles. So when you have a little door within a door, that's a wicket in English. A wicket. 
Isn't yeah. that a thing in like um, cricket. cricket? Yeah, boy, everything comes back to cricket. <laughs> oh, it's shaped like a window, sure. <laughs> or a door. Um, but anyway. It's the German word for wicket, wickets. Uh, Kendra, are you going to get back on? <laughs> wicket. <laughs> uh, Kendra disappeared, but I want to raise what the Latin says before we move on to talking about the actual thing, because it's interesting. Do you want? Okay, Kendra's going to walk over here and, and tell us something before she tries to solve her computer problems. So the super weird thing in Latin is they don't call it the speaking window, and they don't call it the little window that nuns use, which in Latin is just called fenestra window. They call it patula fenestra, which is the wide open window. Patula means spreading like you do with a spatula. So a window that is spread open. So the interesting thing is there's a verb in German that also means that it's uh, spreien, um, which means to spread. It also is things like scattering seeds in some of those words. It even means like spraying. Um, so it may be that the translator saw Spreckfenster and assumed that it was a spreading window, a Sprechfenster, as opposed to a speaking window. Or it may be that that's the actual derivation, because it's not as if they ever explained to us why it's called Sprechfenster. So an alternative to a window that you talk through would be a window that you fling open. Or throw things out of. Or throw things out of. So and so that's support. That's that's definitely what the Latin translator thought it meant. And there is a German etymology that could support that, but it's not really a thing we can prove at this point. Uh, but there are a bunch of other German words in the dictionary by what's his name, um, Scherzi, Scherz, who uh, that are all spry root words um, that mean something related to spreading. So, yeah, we all said we all assume it means speaking window, but there is a different possible definition. It's also sort of enlightening about what it's used for. So just one more thing about the name before we move on. Um, if you look up the word Spreckfenster with a with an E in uh, Grimm's Dictionary, the reference that it gives is from none other than the Danzig text. So if you're looking for a definition there, you'll only find circularness. It'll only lead you back to what you're trying to find the definition for. Yeah, and I think in the Scared's mm -hmm. Dictionary, it's one of his Faulkner quotes. Yeah. I was going to say, has anybody looked this up in that dictionary, which is just filled with quotes from Faulkner or Cal or whatever? Yeah, that's yeah, That's, that's the one I was referring to, that he just says, this yeah. is a fencing term, and then moves on. He doesn't try to define it. Grimm quotes uh, uh, Schertz, and Schertz actually has the entire Schreckfenster um, passage from Faulkner's Lost Danzig in his dictionary, which is pretty cool. All right, so I just found a reference that um, apparently in British English, a wicket can be a service window, like in a bank or a train station. Huh. Um, like that little window which, that you pass your tickets through and, the, and money and so on? Or the yeah, full-size yeah, window? Which, uh, I imagine the little one that you pass stuff through, which I did, wasn't aware of. So. That's it from now on. Fencing from long point is fencing from the wicket. I like it. GG. Uh, it's fine for it to be a wicket because if it all goes wrong, you just have to bail. <laughs> nice. I like it. All right. 
Let, let's let's move on. So the first section of Fresh Fenster um, Ringek is actually missing, where the other glosses have text. Yeah, Ringek has a slightly different approach. Yeah. So let's let's start with the with the non Ringek. <clears throat> with the rubbish where, glosses, sure. Yeah. So there you go. Remember before. Um, you've heard to place yourself in front of someone with the sword and four guards and how to fence them. Remember as well, there's another one, the speaking window, which is also a guard, and you may stand in it well. And the guard is called Long Point, and it is the bestest. When you correctly fence from it, you can constrain someone so that he must let you strike as you want. And you may not come to strokes and thrusts himself in front of your point. And position yourself in it like this. When you approach him with your onset, which Steve and I were talking about the other week, about other ways to translate that, but whatever. Um, with whatever strike, you then uh, come on him, whether it be over or under him. Then with your strike, let your point ever shoot in long from your arms towards his face or breast. Thus you constrain him so that he must displace or bind on your sword. And when he is bound on your sword, remain strong with extended arms with your edge on his sword. And you'll point in his face and stand freely and see what he's going to do. Uh, if he draws back his sword towards himself from your sword, then pursue him with your point towards his face or breast. Uh, if he strikes from the bind around to the other side, then bind after his stroke strongly and work in above to his head. Uh, if he strikes around with the, the tverhau, the cross, then fall on one of his arms with the upper slice. If he doesn't draw back or strike around, then work with the uh, duplering, redoubling, as you will find in the hard and soft plates. So basically, so get a bind, a work from the bind. There's a whole bunch to t talk about here, isn't there? Let's start with, there's only four guards, right? Yeah. Where Except does this one the come from? One, the secret guard. That well, was really the sixth, right? Because we also had Shranku, maybe even the seventh, because we had Kron. No, no th that's not one of the four guards, though. It doesn't count. But it's, it's interesting that when that um, here we're not being told to wait with your point extended. It seems to be when you get a bind, then then extend your arms long and see what they do. This is the first of the two Shrekfensters. There's two Shrekfensters. Or Ringek would just call this the only spec fenster. Um, but I guess we can talk about that distinction in a bit. Right. So the, the difference is there's one that you arrive at in, in your fencing, and there's one that you intentionally assume that you start in. So from and, a four guards perspective, um, I think it's interesting that spec fenster in Dancing Alev is equated with Langort, and in Ringek, the non-binds spec fenster is just called Langort instead of being called spec fenster at all. And that is dealt with also by the shield. So the four guard, if you take the four guards as a model for understanding your opponent, it still applies, despite the fact you have this magic fifth one arriving. We've already been given a tool to address it. It's not like, it's not different from that sense. It's, it still fits into this category, the, into the four guards model-ish. Right, it's just the maximally extended plow. I mean, if you really want to turn it into one of the four guards. But clearly, they think it deserves special mention. What? Or maximally extended plow. It's definitely a maximally extended plow because you shield it instead of. 
if it was an ox, you would crimp it. And we know that you don't crimp long, long point. Well, if you extend from any point forward guard, eventually you'll make it into long point. I don't know, because it depends on where your hands are. Does it? There isn't any position described. Can you have a long point with your sword inverted? Is that still long point, or is it just still ox? It doesn't specify where, which direction your uh, edge is facing in long point. Yep, no specification of edge direction or hand position. Would you use a shield how against a really extended ox? Yes. Because that's really the definition of long point, isn't it? The thing that shield how beats. I mean, I don't really I use pump against ox anyway, so... <laughs> so you would shield it? Sometimes, yeah, why not? I shield everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably yeah. in Han's Vedel, right? Uh, what did you say? It's probably in Han's Vedel, right? Uh, probably. <laughs> I don't remember, but he doesn't. His ox is not the same as everyone else's ox, anyways. So who knows? Well, at any rate, it's well, Faulkner's Faulkner's fresh fenster is turned over and point up. Yeah, Faulkner. Oh, yeah. We, I guess we should get to that. The later fresh fenster is being like this. Yep. Yeah. So I think the one of the other interesting words in this, like little introductory paragraph um, section before we look at the actual play itself, is the idea of constraining, um, which is one of the relatively few times this comes up in the unarmored gloss, I think. Um, it's like it's five or six times. Yeah. It comes up one other time in Lev. Is not that many. Um, which is the inverse, uh, But actually. it's sphinct. This is a term that you definitely see in mounted, and I think you see in armored. Uh, Jess is nodding at me, so that's good. Um, but it's also an interesting idea. Like, how do you make some, how do you force someone or constrain them? Um, and from a practical perspective, one of the things I've always felt is important here is not just stopping and completely waiting. While you're doing some degree of forwards movement, you create pressure on the opponent. They have to, they have to do something because if they do nothing, you'll just walk up and hit them. Um, or you'll push forward through the bind and hit them whichever position you're in. But when you're, if you stop and wait, or even worse, move backwards, you take away a lot of that pressure. So from a, a kind of a practical fencing perspective for nearly all of this stuff, I feel that um, cons continuing to move forwards, even if you're moving somewhat slowly, is really important to kind of maintaining pressure and forcing the opponent to react and do right. I don't. Um, I don't think it's used any time when you could argue that it means you're just going to stand there and your opponent is supposed to feel threatened. It, it tends to always be describing a situation where you're going to hit your opponent unless they stop you. You're pushing and, forwards, basically. Yeah. So you're, you're pushing you're forwards with the forward, point in presence, and your opponent knows that you're moving forwards, and I, I, and you're going to hit them, and that's yeah, what that's so. what the constraining is. If you're just standing so like, there in long point, you're not actually constraining anything because they're they can just ignore you until you move. So basically, you have right of way. And importantly, when you're just standing there at long point, they can spend as long as they like. I saw that, Steve. By the way, it's a good. Um, but um, importantly, when you're just standing there in long point, they can spend as long as they like formulating a plan. Whereas when you're walking forwards in long point, even if you're walking forwards relatively slowly. There's a, a very specific fixed time window on when they can do things. Um, because if they don't do anything, you're going to just hit them by continuing to walk forwards. So they, 
that takes away options from them and forces them to start acting um, on a time scale that you chose. Yeah, in um, in the Rosfecton, there is a whole section on the text and gloss of how you should constrain an opponent at the sword on horseback. Um, and it says that um, that in all of your, uh, to, to sum up, in all of your strikes and meetings, always bind strongly on his sword and force and coerce on his sword with your point. And then with skill, see if you can onsets upon him. So it's, it's from the bind driving the point to see what can happen. And that's constraining. Okay, so I have a question, which is, how does that square with remaining on his sword to see what he does? I have thoughts on that. Which is because you're not leaving the sword. Don't leave it. So, Don't so get excited. Are you just going to stand there and rub swords with him, or what is it telling you to do here? You're just going to push your point towards their face off the bind, right? Like, you're, you're staying on the blade and pushing your point towards the face. And if they don't do anything, you hit them in the face. And if they do do something, you can react to it. So you're not just standing there, even though it says stand freely, but you're standing there oh. and pushing your sword forward. It says, it says remain strong with the long edge, which means overbind. Well, it doesn't mean overbind. But if I'm remaining strong with the long edge, I'm creating a, like... I'm creating strong pressure or like hard pressure for my opponent. And if someone's creating like strong or hard pressure against you, like you don't just stand there. You usually cut around, which then we get the responses if he cuts around, blah blah blah. So, so here your pressure is provoking him to do something. Yeah. yeah. You, 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 the, the, the thing which is provoking him to do something, at least in the way I tend to like structure this, is one is, is a combination of two things. One of them is your pressure, which encourages them to maybe take specific actions in response to it. And the second one, which is just as important, is the fact that your point is moving. And moving is very important. Like it's not just threatening to move, it is actively moving towards an opening. Because that forces them to cut around now or to do their thing now instead of letting them just wait for as long as they like to work out what they want to do. And the combination is critical. Um, regarding the idea of freely, I think freely can be understood here as unconstrained, not being constrained by them. So I stand freely in the bind because I'm the one making you react to me. And therefore, I'm free. I'm concerned, even. So, um... I, I frolic in the bind happily. So, so I guess if um, if we're talking about constraining, you can constrain someone as to when they're going to do something, and you can constrain someone with regards to what they're going to do. And the moving in would be the when. They have to go now or else you're going to hit them. And remaining strong with the long edge would be the, you know, what movement. And that would be anything that either regains the strength, which you, you know, wind better against, or uh, cutting around, which then we get the responses for cutting around. So yeah. there's, there's an interesting thing I want to I wanna highlight in the responses here, which is pulling back from the sword. Um, in Ring, it kind of sounds like this is a reference to Dukin, and this is telling you how to counter someone when they're, when they're jerking their sword back. But in Danzig and Lev, there's more room for doubt. And it kind of sounds like this is the elusive 
why doesn't Lichtenauer ever talk about someone who backs up? Because it says he pulls him, he pulls off backwards from the sword, or he backs himself away from the sword. Not that he pulls his sword backwards from the sword. Um, so, do you think that this is just talking about a blade action, or is this an opponent who's actually backing up? I know, Steve. You you thought that it was someone who was physically backing up. Yeah. Um, I well, I think it's someone. I mean, I think it definitely could be someone physically backing up. But I also think that it doesn't matter. And either way, if you extend your arms and step in, you're going to get good results, whether they're withdrawing from the bind to cut around or just withdrawing to step back. The one thing I would say on that, especially if you're a short defensor, is that you need to be doing it from a relatively close initial distance. Like, if I just try and stick my point out and step forwards from wide distance and they step backwards, then often they'll have a pretty good odd, pretty good odds on tagging me in the hands somehow. Um, if the distance gets a lot closer, so my point is quite close to hitting them and really forcing them to move backwards, then it's a lot easier to be covered behind my cross guard and make a counter thrust um, when they try to hit me. But especially if you try to chase in from wide distance from outside the bind um, and you're shorter, it can be particularly, you need to watch out for somebody just moving backwards versus someone pulling their sword back without moving backwards. Once right. the distance my, gets closer, it's a, lot, it's a lot safer. My experience is that chasing someone in long point is often not very productive. Chasing someone while, while trying to use long point because they can usually back up about as fast as you can run forward, plus they're buying more time to react more intelligently. This is, this is where I think like, the distance comes into play, right? So if, I'm, like, if my, my sword is here, right, and I'm chasing them and you know, there's miles between us, then they're going to attack me pretty much every time. But if my sword is like here and it's right up in their face, even can, if they're can, moving can backwards... find that our listeners can't see where you're pointing. Yeah, I know, but you get the idea. Um, I'm recording the video. Maybe I'll put it up somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, but, it, but the idea being that if my point is very close to my foot and, and they're trying to move backwards, then even a slight increase in the explosiveness of my movement can hit them. And just in general, it becomes a lot harder for them to have the space to get an action in um, without stopping and trying to move in a different direction. And at that point, I'm going to hit them. If I'm further away, then they have more space to work in and more time to kind of change direction out to the side or something, like redirect their momentum without me hitting them instantly as soon as they try to do so. So the amount of actual space there is is pretty important, in my opinion. So this is, this is how I do this. Oh, Jesse, go ahead and then I'll... If you're relevant to them, keep going. I was just going to go back to an earlier topic. Yeah. So just real quick, um, this is this is how I do this. Is how I do this in practice when I'm actually fencing, which might be um, you know relevant. So basically, I'll cut if when I'm when I'm like trying to do Shrek fencer, it's because I'm trying to do it. So I'll cut into long point, ending you know close to their face. If they either don't bind on like have no reaction at all and just stand there or bind on and do nothing or slowly step back, then I just flesh immediately. So I'll just throw myself forward and throw my point into them. Um, if I'm cutting in and they're already stepping back, then it's, you know, there's no point in chasing. Just reset the situation and like try something else. But if they stand there with my point there, then flesh in. Or if they notice that my point's there and start st stepping back, then flush in. 
if I'm cutting in and they're already stepping back, it's too, it's too bad. Like, you know, it's, it's reset time. Yeah, the change out. of pace that you're kind of implicitly highlighting is, I think, something else that's really important. Um, if I just, if I'm already moving at maximum speed, the person running backwards is probably already moving at the speed to match me. Um, and you can do that reasonably efficiently and take goes of trying to hit me in the hands every time, and you'll probably get there because you only have to be lucky once. Um, but if I've come in maybe a little bit a little bit slower than maximum speed, and then I explode into the second action um, from a particularly from the blade already being close to the target, it's pretty likely that I'll hit before they can complete the step back because they have to react to the change in pace, um, and that gives me time to hit them before they can react to that. Um, if the initial distance is close enough, and that's really critical. If the initial distance is quite wide, then even the explosive change in pace won't offset it. But if the initial distance is only a few inches, then an explosive extra step can deal with the um, deal with them moving backwards. Jess, you were wanting to move back to a previous point. Yeah, I was just gonna jump in and and mention uh, in the harness that when you're when you're driving driving your point in with this sort of thing, um, it it doesn't particularly care whether they're um, pulling as in pulling their sword around or pulling their sword and retreating. It's kind of assuming both are happening, and so you know your your tsuken. Um, an armor at least often has a footwork associated with it, which is changing the openings, right? Um, so the opening is moving away. Now that could just be one side, but the opening is moving away, right? And so it it discusses not only knock rice on sets and with your point, but also pursuing with your feet. So these ideas are are all there. Okay. I'm I'm sort of beginning to read this as almost refusing to leave distance after an initial bind, certainly the, the first section. And that's what keeps the, the pressure up. Yeah, I'd agree. Which is, you know, the proper way to stay in the bind as opposed to freezing up and waiting to see what happens. But how to use the, how to stay in the bind and Maybe, I mean, this could be, we've noticed before that there's this idea in the gloss that the masters are the people who like to bind. And whenever it's talking about things with the masters, it's specifically referring to binding situations. This could be now finally giving us the master game, which is what it means to be good at the bind, as opposed to people whose focus is on binding when they don't necessarily have the background to do it effectively, where we get just sword rubbing. Well... If we look back at the uh, Zukan section uh, in Danzig and Lev, it says this is good for the masters who remain on the sword and see if you want to withdraw or cut around. I don't remember the exact wording. Mm -hmm. But that really kind of seems like what we're being told to do here. Um, and we're also given a counter to someone who wants to use Zukan against you. Yeah. Which is do, it, do the same but harder, right. apparently. Yeah, so you're putting your sword in their face, and they bind, and you're remaining on the bind to see if they withdraw or cut around. Same and if thing. they if, if they withdraw, then you know, so. do long point more, and yeah. you win. <laughs> Hope that they didn't read the Zukan section, and they don't trick. 
<laughs> so, so if we're going to talk talking about um, connections to previous sections, to me, um, and one of the big things that unlocked this section was look for me was looking at the general lesson and the Zornhow. and a lot of this seems to be directly tied into that. Like we're now closing the loop on the very beginning of the title with these last sections, um, particularly the idea of entering the bind and then constraining him so that he must displace or bind is language that we already saw um, in the very first sections, right? In the, the section about cutting near to him and the section about for and nach um, is also about constraining. You have the couplet, um, I say to you truthfully, no one can protect himself without danger, uh, mm -hmm. or quatrain rather. And that appears in the four openings. It's one of the few times when they recycle verses in the title. Um, and, and so it shows up here and it shows up there. Again, tying this into the idea of seeking the openings. And a lot of the responses here fit nicely as a counterpart to the plays of the Zornhau, right? So if we're talking about binding onto his sword, um, that's what the Zornhau does. And then some of the some of the follow-on plays from the Zorn fit into this paradigm too. So it starts to sort of, like I said, close the loop and become a, a very tight two-sided lesson as opposed to just a stimulus and a bunch of responses. You can start to go back and forth. And then both the Zorn and the Spreckfenster end by saying, you know, if none of these things work, then use the Duplerin or other plays is what it says here. And then in the Zorn, it's Duplerin or Mutirin. Um, so I think that there's a, we're, we're getting sort of to the back to the basics here and expanding on that first lesson. <laughs> Just T trying to sort out his dodgy connection and yeah. interrupting your, uh, uh, your explanation. Luckily, I was done. So I think that this is this is really <laughs> giving us more information about those first lessons and sort of telling us how it fits into the bigger picture. It is for sure interesting to view this, the whole final section of the gloss as complementary, but also somewhat redundant to earlier parts, because in this last section, starting with starting in hand pressing, I think the writing style completely changes, both in German and in Latin, in Lev at least. I don't know if this is true in other glosses, mm. where like it's it's extremely noticeable do, doing a translator close read. Um, for, I guess, the casual reader, what's noticeable is it shifts from describing very specific actions and saying, you know, you can do this and then stab him in the face or the breast for most of the gloss. And then here at the end, instead it's, well, so you can do this in four openings and you can do it with three attacks and you can do it with both hands. So that's 24 things, you figure it out. Which makes me wonder, like it is noticeably much more different from sort of the middle part of the gloss, the Lev gloss, than the five strikes section, which is commonly believed to be spliced in from a different tradition. Could this end bit be spliced in from a different tradition? And that's why it makes such a nice compliment, but also review. I, I think commonly believes that the five strikes <laughs> are a separate thing is a little bit of an exaggeration. I think, there's okay. a, I think there's a couple people who maybe think that. <laughs> well, now everyone knows. I believe it. It's obviously true. Limited. Right. I also believe it. So clearly it's the belief of this podcast. I do not believe it. 
<laughs> well, we we just outvoted you. Well, luckily it's we can, we can cover this another time. Hema's an anarchy. We can think whatever we want. And I'll be right. Or wrong. Probably wrong. Probably I'll wrong. Know. Yeah, everybody's wrong. Okay, so should we move on to the other half of this then? Or yes. is there more to say about this section? I think maybe one thing to mention on the technical plays in Sprinkfencer is that all of these are basically plays about somebody. Let's move on, please. So if you have, the, if you look at these plays, right, you have three plays against somebody moving backwards on the blade, uh, a kind of umschlag style cut around, a tear cut around, or drawing back to thrust. And you also have the play against somebody trying to outwind you by going strong and doing a new player. And those are sort of, or other actions on the blade. And those are kind of the things which are described. And all of these very much fit with what Steve was saying earlier about pushing forward and forcing somebody to react either by leaving the blade or by trying to outwind you, um, by trying to like regain strength against you. If they try to regain strength, you can hit them by doubling. If they try to leave the blade, you can hit them with one of the given plays. But in all cases, you're forcing them to make an action out of a relatively small set of actions by pushing forwards with a strong bind and the point towards there, towards an opening. It's a long point. Yes, long point. <laughs> all right, so, so first of all, left has its own little section on long point, and then all the glosses match up. So we'll start with left. Item, shall you make the speaking window, which are two guards from the long point, one on the sword and the other before the man, uh, when he binds on his sword, or the swords clash together, and yet this, it is the same, not more than one guard. Item, I say truthfully, that the long point is the best ward on the sword, and when therewith you constrain the man, that he must let you strike, and therefore so no strikes may come. Wherefore you shall drive the point to the man, and with all hues, to the breast or the face, and further therefrom drive, stab, and strike, etc. So basically, Spec fence and long point, same, same. Sometimes on the sword, sometimes not. But it's the best. Noblest and best. Once Luminart. So why is it the noblest and best? Because it it's the most artful. How it says at the end that it can perform every play. Which might true? be hyperbole. And we should get come there after we talk about the plays mm -hmm. it specifically lists. Okay. Um, are we going to do them yet? Is it okay. the same as the speed? Uh, uh, are long point and Sprechmaster the same? Lev seems to say yes, but Ringek doesn't agree, does he? Yeah, so DL say yes and Lev says no. Is uh, Sorry, uh, Ringek says yes. DL say yes, they're the same, and Ringek says no, they are different. There we go. That's the way round it is. <laughs> yeah, so what do you guys think? What, what, what would the difference between Sprech and long point be? I'm a Lev, so I say they're the same. Obviously, following Ringek, I say they're different. And there's two main differences I think Ringek highlights, um, or that I highlight based on teaching on my interpretation of Ringek. One of them is that it is in or out of a bind. Um, Sprechfenster has a bind, um, always in Ringek. Uh, and Longpoint, as a guard, does not. Um, and then the other one being which foot is forward. So normally with Ring X Prefenster, I assume the right foot is going to be forward. You've entered the bind with a cut, probably. 
or a, a cut style action to bring you into the bind and bring your point into their face, and then you're working from there. Whereas in the Sprick Fenster, you're very in the long point. Sorry, it's been a long week. Uh, you're very explicitly <laughs> left foot forward, um, and there's no bind. So that's you the way I distinguish between them, at least when I'm teaching classes. We don't get footwork instructions for Sprick, do we? No, there's no explicit footwork. So I treat it as implicitly right foot because you are entering it via a blade action in Ring Egg off the top of my head. Let me check that. Yeah, yeah, you enter from an over or under hue. So you're you're entering it from a hue, and from the general lesson, that hue is going to be made with the from the right side, and therefore you're going to take a step forward to the right foot. Yeah, so after hue, you'll have your right foot forward. Yeah. Does, does Ring Egg offer um, the same? Uh, counter to Dishvexel by shooting the long point that Danzig and Lev do because that helps inform my long point versus Sprechfenster because Sprechfenster doesn't really get described in the same way. Ringek does not have that. Okay. Ringex has, for, for long point, it has a counter to wrestling by yeah. doing a slice or uh, by doing oh. your own wrestling. Did I say there's and I meant there's Do the slice or wrestle. Uh, yes. Um, if they cut from above to below or from below up right. onto the sword, and, and you stretch the point away, so Dershvexel and thrust to the point. other opening. Yeah, so the no, counter to Dershvexel is missing from Ringek. It's only in Dalsic. Okay. Cool. I was just curious. How does that inform your understanding? Please say more. Um, <laughs> just... You know, it, because I think of of long point as not necessarily having the speaking quality of Spreshfenster, if that makes any sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas I can just I can just shoot the long point, like you you take away foolishly, I slam it in there. Like there's no, it's entirely in the knock. How about that? Mm. Whereas maybe Spreshfenster isn't. Maybe. Yeah. For me, one of the kind of more fundamental distinctions, at least in Ringek, is that in Sprechfenster, because you always have a bind, you always have Fulen. Whereas for the material that's described on a long point, none of these actually describe Fulen. They describe seeing the opponent doing different things and reacting to what you're seeing, not feeling the opponent do different things and reacting to what you're feeling. And I think that's a kind of a fundamentalish difference. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and I, and I fundamental ish. That was so my understanding word. is that it basically just comes down to whether you arrive there in a bind or you decide to assume it outside of a bind. And I'm happy with calling one spreck and one long point, even though that's only textual for Ringek and not for the others. But it does add some clarity to talking about it. So can... Go ahead. Finish. I was going to start a new thing, so finish the No, thought. you go. Okay. Yeah, do it. I was just going to say, it's quite nice that the idea of, especially if you go with the speaking window or communication style translations, it's quite nice that that's the one which has a bind and therefore has the extra communication channel. But obviously um, that's a terrible it, translation, so. So can you do every <laughs> technique from one point? Well, so let, let's, let's review quickly what it tells you to do from long point, which looks to me like there's a basic ox absetsin there's um, changing through. There is the counter to running in, which is slicing the arms underneath, and or it tells you you can wait for wrestling. 
So that covers like four Hauptstück. And then Ringek also has one. What does Ringek have? Uh, cutting Around, which is his version of Dukin, maybe? Uh, yeah, Snap It's a Schnappen. It says Schnappen. They actually lamp your sword. You whip it around with which the momentum and slice, nail them. Which is a yeah, lower from the option item. Or it's because not. it's Ringek, then it's part of the Frizetson, I guess. Okay. Either way. <laughs> so one thing that I'm pretty sure you can yeah. cannot do, or five things, I guess, that you cannot do from uh, long point are the five hues. So that kind right, of... But, but those are the five hues. Those aren't the pieces. The pieces right. are 12. Well, Ringek refers to them as the 17 pieces. But... <laughs> Except so, in Ringek. Okay, let's go through the pieces, the yeah, 12 pieces one by one then. Four guards. It is a guard. Although interestingly, actually, Ringek says Ringek doesn't say that you can do all of the pieces well, from Ringek. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, but okay, I get you. I get your meaning. Okay. Okay. So four guards. Is it a guard? Yes, it's a guard. The noblest and best. Um for Zetson. Can uh, on is in the Frizetson. You can definitely on Zetson from one point. You can also parry with one point. You can do a uh, right. Yeah, or you can do a schnappen. Like you, you can't do the fear frizzetson though. Yeah, but that that's that's only one small part of the frizzetson yeah. section. Knock rising, of course. You do that from any guard. It's just an idea. Um, Uberlaufen. Can you stab Total somebody going point. below? Yeah, I'd say you can. The Uberlaufen and Lev is all about using one point against them. So. Right. Um, Akrais, Uberlauf, Abzetson, yeah, that's in the thing. Dirtschwechseln, yeah, that's in the thing. Tukin, yes, that's in, kind of in the thing. What can you do, Tukin? Yeah, you, you definitely. Long point, Tukin back, go back in. Um, Dirtschlauf. Eh. Uh, I don't see why you can do it. covered in here. Yeah. yeah. It says if they run in, you can do the slice or you can uh, run in against them. Uh, or you can like wait the wrestling. So, totally out Yeah. Explicitly Maybe covered. Not explicit, but implicit yeah. because you can slice, so you can presumably hand press. This is in the hanging section. Well, this is hanging. And Vinden is explicitly covered. <laughs> right. So, with the maybe exception of Dorkloffen, I think all the Hauptstück are represented here. Yeah. I don't see now, why you want to go to. If you want to go to everything that's called a shtuk, then maybe not. But we don't have to. Yeah. I mean, you could you could definitely wrestle, like, do Dirk Laffin from this in a kind of, um, uh, if you want to do it aggressively, you do it in a um, uh, Verkara-style way, where you use the threat of your point to force them to make a parry, and you enter into wrestling behind them. You could definitely do that. Yeah. All right. All right. So yeah, it sounds like I was going to say that maybe it's exaggeration, but it sounds like it's only a little bit exaggerated. You can do all the main stuff at least using long point. And uh, I mean, really, there are many sword arts that begin a lot of their strikes or learn to speak a lot of their strikes by starting in long point and then raising up and cutting. And I know you can, and that's not how it's described here, but anything that it tells you to do from your shoulder, you could be in long point raise your sword to your shoulder and then cut. So the five strikes are not inaccessible from long point. It's just slightly slower. Especially if you remember that long point here is described as being left foot forward. 
So in a time of taking a passing step for a long point, you can chamber back to your shoulder and then do the cut, mm -hmm. as long as you have some way to stop them from stabbing you during the chambering. And yeah, so you, um, you have to be worried about Anzeitsen in that case, sure. We yes. actually, uh, me and uh, some people from my club have practiced that a little bit. We call it the reverse Schreckfenster. When you approach with the long point, step in and raise your sword up at the same time. <laughs> Just give them a big tempo. But, you know, oh, yeah, it's, it's risky, but it, it surprisingly works a lot of times because hmm. they don't expect it and they get scared and, you know, don't stab I you. call it kendo fencing and I try to hit them in the right wrist. <laughs> I mean, for, for that matter, if you look at something like Anzetsun and it's talking about how when they raise their sword, they pull their sword back to strike, you have an opportunity to thrust them. If they're going from long point to back to strike, then that makes a whole lot more sense than if they're already in Fomtag and want to strike you. The opening suddenly gets much easier to exploit. So that could be evidence this was a people fenced. And especially the actual, the Ancestor play I think is most transferable here is the, I don't know if it's in Danzig Lev, but it's in Ringek where you, they pull back to strike and you fall on their arm with the edge and slice. Sure. And that's super hard to do if they're already in a relatively attractive position, but if they're, if they're already fully extended, then as they lift up, you can kind of get your edge onto their arm and start to push through. Um, if you basically throw in a thrust onto their forearm instantly, which is pretty fun. Yeah, so yeah I think mm. that cutting from long point unlocks a few of those plays, maybe in a way that it's hard to understand otherwise. So everybody, moral of the story, everybody use long point all the time. <laughs> totally. No worse than best. No Let's do it. Make sure With you your have left your left foot forward. forward, people. Don't do yeah. any right foot forward crap long point. Left foot forward. So if I do von Flugenart with my left foot forward, I'm still good, right? Yeah, as long as you have your left foot forward. I don't care where your sword is. If I'm in von Flugenart, neither do I. <laughs> so I think that's actually worth drawing out, maybe. Um, what <laughs> is the I? Why does it say left foot forward? Despite the fact that obviously in the modern fencing game we most of us play, we see right foot forward all the time, and way more often the left foot forward and things like this. Is there a mechanical difference? Is there a tactical difference? Is there a conceptual difference? Is it just these Germans like passing steps because they're weirdos? So you can attack with the BPS. The BPS. Mm, I'm pretty sure that you can BPS with your right foot forward. Yeah, but then you end up with your left foot forward. And your cue is short. Yeah, in an extended position. Sounds good. But you're not hewing, you can thrust. Could you um, define BPS for our listeners? Uh, ballistic passing stuff. We don't have to get into it. It's, it's, it's kind of a tongue in cheek joke. That was me. We could spend an entire episode talking about ballistic passing steps. Um, well, I, I have an hour long. Uh, talk about it i can link if <laughs> so one thing which i think is worth noting is that the a long sword is not symmetric um your right hand or your strong side hand is above the, your weak side hand on the hilt and therefore your reach and structure of your body change depending on which leg is forward and a result of that is that if you start with your offside leg forwards and you take a passing step you gain reach well, if you start with your strong side leg forward and you take a passing step, you lose reach. The cross structure has less distance. 
And that can actually be quite a useful extra little tool to tag someone um, if they're trying to make a step backwards or something. Because um, if, I, if I start with my left foot forward and I take a step forwards, I gain the distance of my step plus another few inches from my body I'm crossing. And that extra distance is not obvious from the size of the step and commitment level of the step I'm making. Um, so you can use that to sneak your point into a target um, in a way that isn't immediately obvious. So that can be quite fun. Yeah, that's uh, also why righty versus lefty matters. Yeah, I tried to be reasonably clear about strong versus weak side being the the difference. Is the the crossness versus uncrossness of your body basically the that makes the variation here. Yep, and I've got nothing to disagree with on that. I. I, I think that we mostly see right foot forward just because of the, the moth influence then, if it's less effective, or do we have any other explanation? I, I think right foot forward is more comfortable for people. And I think the other thing about right foot forward is it allows you to attack on a lunge and withdraw again after the initial action. Mm. If you're a left foot forward, you, you end up attacking on a pass and your next action has to be... It's a lot harder to move backwards. Um, if you just made a pass forwards, so you have to stay in measure in a way that people might not be comfortable with. A lot of people, including really good fencers, um, are weak on their passing steps. So if you think a passing step is too slow, then cutting that out of the equation is a way you can speed up your fencing without learning how to pass better. And that's probably a big piece of it, too. They know they want to have the right foot forward when they hit, but they don't feel like they, it's a good idea or a useful idea to bring it forward to the passing step. So they just put it there in the, in the first place. Yeah. And you can, because you end up with your right foot forward either way, you can make the same follow-on actions in both cases. So if you end up getting yeah. close and want to step around with a tray or something, whether you started right foot forward and lunged or left foot forward and pass doesn't matter mm. um, intrinsically. But the lunge gives you flexibility to run away. What I tend to do when I try to do this is I typically start the action from a little bit further away. So in particular, you a, a very common way you see this done in modern HEMA is jockeying at kind of just beyond the edge of measure. Um, yep. And then committing with lunges, like making quick lunges into measure and back out again. Um, and or I try to... Pull in with the flesh. Or going in with your lunge, your extension, turning it into a flesh and spherocopter. Yes, the Arbor special. Um, uh, when I try to do these plays, I try to do it from further out with a more consistent advance. And then the, mm. the left foot kind of lands, the, le the left foot step happens. The left foot goes forward as the distance is beginning to collapse. And then I can step in the right foot to drive that home or to move to another action. Um, but it's a, a kind of a different model where instead of jockeying at distance, it starts from further out and becomes a consistent train forwards. A little bit like what the Fabrice people seem to talk about with their whole book two proceeding with resolution thing. I don't know what that is. I'm sorry. This is the, <laughs> this is the KDF podcast. I only know <laughs> anything about it because... Vicky on the Hema Discord did a talk about it, and I listened to half of it and decided it was exactly what I already did, so it must be the same. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Has anybody got anything else to add before we wrap up? Steve, can you explain what the... what 
Hunt's uh, York Wilhelm's secret thrusts are, or forbidden thrusts, or whatever they are. Isn't that long point related? Maybe, but I don't know. I haven't really studied that part very much. I can do an explanation of this. I got one. I got a version of this from Christian Schultzgaard. Okay. Uh, once back in Australia a year and a half ago. Uh, usual restrict or usual uh, provisos. This is my recollection. I was very jet lagged, and it was a year and a half ago. So he's probably changed all his opinions since then. Um, but Christian had an idea of the hidden points being basically the corn, the the kind of the pockets of your shoulders and hips. Um, where they end up being just inside where your hands are going to be if your hands are in one of those four quadrants. And those have the interesting property that if you throw an attack at them, it's really, really hard to parry it with a straight parry um, or with any sort of opposition which takes it across your body because it has such a long distance to cover to get it off the target. And in particular, like it has quite a long distance to cover and you can only really engage it when it's already quite close to you. So it's very, very difficult to clear it away from hitting you. So that was his model. His model of the the hidden points was these four. You have these four target locations just inside the shoulders and just inside the hips. You attack whichever one of the four has your opponent's hands in it, and it's very difficult for them to make a parry on it, except with some sort of circular parry that takes the blade out in the other direction that most people can't do under pressure. Um, it's actually a really awesome way to get uh, get touches on people. Um, worth trying. Hmm. One thing that I did want to pick up on, which we missed, was isn't there an alternative later meaning of speaking window? We see it in um, the Festregen, uh, I think, There's, which um, is some kind of some kind, yeah, breakfast, some kind of crossed hand guard in front of you. So Brachfenster is like broken window, mm. and a lot of sources have it as like the uh, inverted. I think there's a picture in um, Clooney. There's Faulkner has it. Your mm. Wilhelm. I think Hans. It's a picture in one of Hans Madel's thing, but we obviously we don't get Hans Madel's Schreckfenster because he cuts off at the Zuken. Um But yeah, it's pretty common to see pictures of that type of thing. Yeah, and at least in one place it's explicitly called Sprit Fenster. Yeah. So I would I would guess that the sort of meaning of it changed over time or there was a different tradition in a different place and they got conflated. If you look at Sprit Fenster as any bind position, then it doesn't necessarily have to be long point, I suppose. So if you're doing some kind of weird close-in bind up around your head, you might end up in that weird inverted position. And as long as you can use Fulin effectively, I guess it could still be considered within the broad definition of Spreckfenster. I don't really understand it, though. Also, I think that in Joachim Meyer, his Breckfenster plays are not really related to Long Point very much. Although I'm not a Meyer guy, so I'm not sure. But uh, my recollection is he has a whole different thing that's focused on what he thinks the meaning of Window Breaker is. Is it all about pommel strikes? <laughs> uh, like I said, I, I I don't know. I didn't look it up for this podcast. So, so I'm uh, regarding the uh, four secret points. 
I of Yerd Vilhelm. I'm looking at them right now, and the text isn't very helpful. Basically, they just say, do what the picture says. But they also say um, they, it goes to the face. And all the pictures show the person stabbing to the face. So I have doubts about the meaning of the secret points being the pockets of your shoulders. Because they all go to the face. I mean, it's very much a... This is my recollection of somebody else's commentary on a source yeah, I don't I study. Yeah. Yeah. While I was hungover and had just been hit in the head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the usual humor event experience. That's fair. So um, 3227A actually lines up pretty nicely with everything we've discussed. It's much longer than the passages in RDLN, um, but I'm not going to read any of it because it doesn't actually cover new ground. It just elaborates a lot on how feeling works with Spreckfenster. It is an interesting read if people want to if people want to read more about it. Um, and it ties it back to his idea of Vorschlag and Nachschlag. But he doesn't have anything that's uniquely insightful to offer here, just a more comprehensive explanation. Um, so uh, I guess the last thing I would have to say is uh, there's an interesting it's interesting to look at the first play of Wallerstein, which I think ties into this, um, because it invokes both the idea of all things have length and measure, or length and reach, or however you want to translate that part of the title. Um, but it has the interesting statement that if you extend your sword and stand in the balance, which sounds like long point to me, then you're making yourself small with the body, so you are large with the sword. And that's yeah, that's a, a nice expression of what it really means to be in long point and threatening your opponent is denying them targets while giving them a threat. But it doesn't say long point, so maybe it doesn't belong yeah. here. Well, I mean, you can kind of infer that from the plays all of the, of Fallerstein also because they all start from a bind. Mm -hmm. That's all I all have. All right, let's wrap it up. I, I think that we're going to break this episode into two parts. Who ever could have predicted that happening? No one. I thought it'd be like a 20 minute episode. Because <laughs> it's been. <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much for listening. This has been Fencing by the Book. I've been your host, Mike Swarge, and joining us have been our panel of Johanna Hopfgaard, Kendra Brown, Michael Chidister, Stephen Cheney, TQ, and Jess Finley. Thank you for listening. <laughs>